Thank you for listening. This is Brett Trainer, your host for Hardwired for Growth, a podcast where we strive to help entrepreneurs and business owners not only grow their businesses, but scale them. We do this by having conversation with industry experts and the entrepreneurs who have successfully scaled their own businesses. Statistics show that only 5% of all startups ever achieve annual revenue of a million dollars and less than 1% reach 10 million. Our mission is to help more than double the number of companies that reach each of those thresholds. In this episode, I have a conversation with Tim Cato. Tim is a senior partner at Force Management and has spent the better part of three decades helping companies improve their sales force effectiveness. Tim is the OG when it comes to helping companies tell their story and how to effectively differentiate from their competition. In this episode, we go deep into the what, the why, and the how of effective differentiation and the power of selling on value. Now, on to the intro. Welcome back. You're listening to Hardwired for Growth, a podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking for sustainable and scalable growth strategies, led by your host, Brett Trainer. Hey, Brett, how you doing? Outstanding. And are you still joining us from Atlanta, Georgia, or are you Charlotte, North Carolina? I am Atlanta, Georgia today, enjoying the decline of pollen season. <laughs> I think we're just ramping up here in Chicago. So um, this is actually, this is a good time in Atlanta, right? Before it gets hot Atlanta, we have another. Absolutely. Sweet. We are a balmy 70 degrees today. So it's awesome. Did you make it down to Augusta last Sunday? I'm dating when the show I did not. Ironically, I was in Chicago last Sunday trying to battle through a snowstorm and listening to the master's on the radio of the Uber that I was taking to O'Hare where I sat for six hours and watched the end of it. But that's a whole nother story. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe we'll use that as a different episode when we, we circle back. (laughs) Yeah. But that was the strangest day. We, you know, 60 on Saturday, we had eight inches of snow on Sunday and it was 60 again on Monday. So unbelievable. That's crazy. All right. So Tim, as a way of kicking us off, you know, one of the questions I like to like or ask Rather than tell me your job description or job title, uh, if you're at a cocktail party, how do you describe to people what you do? Well, Brett, for the past uh, you know 45 years, and it's hard for me to say that, um, but for the past 45 years, in a variety of capacities and roles and companies, I basically help sellers close profitable deals. That's that's what I do for a living. Sometimes that's been as a result of me being the, uh, a seller, a manager, a head of sales. Sometimes it's been as a business owner myself. Sometimes it's as a coach or a consultant. But the common theme across all that is help people close big and profitable deals. Uh, that's awesome. That's one of the one of the main reasons I wanted to get you uh, as a guest on this show because I think you and I go back it's well over 10 years now. I can't remember the first company we were at. Absolutely. Together. And one of the things that, that stuck with me from that, the first time I heard you uh, deliver or train or coach was really around getting the messaging and uh, positioning, right? Not only of yourself, obviously, but also 
products and company. And, you know, our audience is really kind of focused on looking to not only grow their business, but scale the business. And one of the things I took from you is it's all around that company story, right? What problems are you solving for customers? And, and, and can you articulate from the first touch point through, you know, post sale, if you're fortunate enough to, to close the deal. So that was kind of rambling intro for you, Tim, but maybe you could just give us a your perspective on that company story and, and the, the value of it to a growing business. Yeah, well, you know, over the years, that company story, you know, I kind of loosely have framed that as what's your message? What's your message? And when I talk to folks about that message, that story, the first question I ask them, from whose perspective does that story come? Does it come from yours as the entrepreneur or the owner or the, the rep or the leader of a company? Does it come from your company? You know, and I call that an inside out, inside our company, out to the market. Here's what we do. Here's the service we provide. Here's the product we have. And here's what we think it does. Or does it come from the perspective of the customers you're trying to target? And I'd call that outside in. Outside of you, into you. Now, I'll give you an example of that based on what I just said about what we do. And one of my partners in the business told a story years ago when we were first getting this business started about how we used to be on a, on a plane and, you know, you'd inevitably get that person next to you that is just more motivated to talk than you are to ignore them. Right. And, you know, they would, they, they would sit down and say, so what do you do? And for years, he said, well, you know, we train salespeople. And he got a pretty predictable response, which would be, really? Wow. I know some other people that sell, you know, that, that, right. that um, train salespeople. And, uh, you know, you should meet them. And along the way, he shifted the perspective, rather that inside out kind of approach, took it outside in. And he said, yeah, we help um, selling companies drive profitable deals. And uh, the inevitable response was, wow, I know somebody that's got that problem. You know, sometimes it was, I have that problem. So, you know, that message, that story is a, it's a subtle difference, but I think it's a powerful one because people rarely go out in the marketplace looking for what other people are selling, right? Unless they've already got an understanding of what it is they're looking for. More often than not, what people are out there looking for are answers to their problems. So, you know, first line of that story that you have your company or the message is, if you were the customer out looking for what you do, what's the problem that you'd have that would cause them to even know that they've got a problem and go looking for you. So that's, that, that's kind of step number one. And then, uh, you know, step number two is obviously tightening it up so that it doesn't take someone a really long time to grasp what is that story of your company and how does it align with the problems they have. They kind of want to get them to lean into you a little bit more and spend more time to understand not more about your offering, but more about their problem, right? Right. When, I, when I go see a, a doctor, right, I usually have some kind of an issue and I don't want the doctor to tell me all the specialties they have or the newest you know, piece of equipment they brought into the office. And because they've got that office or they've got a new drug or new procedure that they've just gotten grounded in, 
I don't want them to tell me I've got a problem that's perfectly designed for this issue or, you know, this new treatment approach they have or this new piece of equipment. I want them to understand my problem and help me understand my problem so that when I say, wow, I need to deal with it, and it clearly has to have these three or four characteristics, then when they show me their new device or they show me their new drug or procedure, I'm like, wow, this is the perfect place for me. So again, subtleties here. But it all kind of goes back to that, um, you know, a very cliched statement, but I think it really plays in here about the story or message. It's got to be about the customer first. Yeah, and I think and you're absolutely right. And I think you, you'll probably go there next. Even thinking back, I think when we first worked together, it, you know, it was a heavy responsibility of the sales rep to be able to articulate that, right? When they're out on sales calls or prospecting or, or talking to folks. Now in the world of digital, right? As people are starting to do the research either before or after you, right? They're looking for that to validate that message that they either heard, right? So it could go either way, the website first, social first, you know, human second or vice versa. But the consistency of of that messaging is is critical. Yeah. And you're so right. I mean, remember the phrase we kicked around years ago, Brett, um, the zero moment of truth, which, you know, if you, if you studied marketing in school back a million years ago when I was in school, they talked about three moments of truth that basically started when you first engaged with the customer, right? And then along came this idea of the zero moment of truth, which is all the stuff that customers now do before they ever engage with us. Go out on social to get a perspective of their peer groups, uh, you know, or anybody that has an issue. What are the different solutions? You know, go out and do their own research. And, you know, they've got a pretty solid perspective before they walk in. So, you know, for example, I'll go back to that doctor appointment thing. You know, it used to be I'd go into the doctor and we'd say, here's what's wrong. What do you think? Today we go into the doctor and say, I've been on, uh, you know, on WebMD. I've been on social. Here's what I have, you know, and I need you to tell me, you know, A, can you validate my own self-diagnosis? And uh, B, can you give me a little bit more information? But you better be aware, I'm kind of checking you out based on what I think I already know here and how accurate are you going to be, which I can only imagine for physicians are scratching their heads saying, how did this whole thing change? (laughs) But when you bring it back to the world of an entrepreneur in the digital age that's trying to you know, establish their business and get that message out there, you got to recognize that a big part of the message is being shaped before we ever engage with the customer. So we better either have a point of view that we know will resonate with a um, you know, point of view about what problems we solve that will resonate with what people will do in those zero moments of truth on their own before they engage with us. Or we better have approach to pretty quickly figure out up front what it is they believe they know about their problem so that we can align what we have with it. And it's a, it's a real difference. And I know when I started my first business, I wanted to go tell the world what I do and, uh, you know, what the reality is, what the world wanted to know is, do you understand my problem before you tell me what you do? And, uh, funny thing when, uh, when I hired my first salesperson to go do that, they didn't know as much about what I do as I did. So they led with focusing on the customer. 
and a, you know, a little story for you, Brett. Sure. They did better than me their first year. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were asking questions and listening? Is yes, okay. absolutely. They weren't trying to be the expert on what my company did. They were trying to be the expert on the customer's problems. Yeah, that is so true. And I think I see working with definitely some um, entrepreneurs who may come from more of a technical background or non-sales, even though all of sales doesn't get it right either. And they tend to really think about how great the, the product is and the technology. It's, you know, it's in machine learning, but yet it wasn't resonating with the customers because it wasn't linking back to a problem that they have either around revenue growth or, you know, it's either cost or, or they're trying to eliminate a problem or enhance, you know, revenue or the, the two things. So I think once they spun that conversation around to really focus on, we will help you grow your business and this is how is when they they really turn the corner it's really profound what you say there i'm I'm, we work with several leading pe firms or venture capitalists that have got some organizations that more often than not they're like in a series b kind of mode where they're pumping some serious money into companies that have already started to sustain and they introduce us or me because they need to help take this person that's got a brilliant idea. A lot of them are tech companies, biotech, AI, a lot of things that are going on right now. And I'm dealing sometimes, Brett, you know, a, a month and a half ago with a, a, you know, the founder, the entrepreneur that has his PhD in physics from MIT, also has an MD from Harvard, I mean, you just stand next to the guy and you read his bio and you think you are a total slough, right? <laughs> right? But this guy started, you know, a biotech firm and has a brilliant offering, but it hasn't taken off as quick because they, rightfully so, want to focus on the technology aspects of what they do, which is great, but they're in essence creating an industry in what their solution does. So there's not a defined problem the customers have yet. They're just they're starting to define the problem in the marketplace while they're also trying to launch this. And what do they lean on? They lean on that, uh, this guy leaned on that technology muscle that he has. And I understand it. The little bit I can understand, what he has is brilliant. But the problem, of course, is not that. The problem is that messaging and creating a market, which whether we do that at, you know, the market level, the global level, or whether we're doing it in a local market, you know, defining what is that, that market that's out there for us and the problems that they have that we solve. That's a big part of what you're talking about right there. And I understand wanting to lead with the technology, but you got to counterbalance that sometimes. Yeah. Most of the time, the customers or prospects just don't care, right? Right. They've got enough going on in their day. It's super cool technology, but it's not advancing my business or my company or in my job. And yeah, but it seems like such a simple concept. But I, I think if we went out and picked you know, 50 websites to see and understand exactly what they do. I bet you 75% of them still have features and benefits versus, you know, the problems that they're, they're solving for their, for their customers out there. Yeah. Well, Brett, you know, I'm old school and sometimes old school sayings are, are out there for a reason. And the one that comes to mind here is common sense isn't always that common. 
<laughs> you know, and <laughs> there's a reason we keep saying that. <laughs> right. And I have a feeling we'll continue to, to say, you know, one of the other gaps and it kind of fits in here is, you know, for 20 years, I've been screaming about, you know, sales and marketing alignment. And yet I just read that study from Miller Hyman, I think that came out and still showed that only 30% of you know, 900 B2B organizations have a common defi- definition of what a lead is. <laughs> how, wow. I know we're getting off topic a little bit here, but yeah, it's crazy how, how slow. Well, it's part of actually, it, it is a little bit on topic as it relates to the story or the message. Because one of the things that I find is most often confusing, you know, not just at a entrepreneurial startup or a, you know, more regional or local kind of business, all the way up to, you know, global enterprise companies frequently have the same challenge here. And that is not understanding the difference between a market facing message, you know, that message we have to highlight on our website or we put into our advertising or our marketing events, that market level message that says broadly, here's what we do versus a specific customer sales conversation or message or story that talks about what they specifically uniquely need. And when you try and get that individual customer conversation to be driven by the market-facing story or message, a lot of times you do produce those disconnects that leaves the customer saying, well, I get what you're saying, but I don't think that applies to me, right? right. I was um, uh, not the same you know, level, and it's more of a B2C kind of story, but I recently went out looking for some earbuds because I got a smartwatch and I got my phone and I like to exercise and I want to do it without taking my phone. So I figured I could do it on my watch, right? All right. would be good. I could play my music answer phone calls when they come in, everything the phone could do, theoretically, my watch can do. So I went out looking and, you know, my criteria, Brett, was I needed to be able to have them be compatible with my watch and waterproof. Because as you say, it does get hot here in Atlanta, right? And <laughs> that seems I didn't want to, yeah, I didn't want to drop 200 bucks on a set of earbuds that the first good sweat, they fried my brain, right? right. So Anyway, I went out looking and the market level message was all about sound quality and quality of the speakers and, you know, how, you know, something called latency that I don't even know what that is, but I've since learned, right? But, um, and then I said, well, okay, I'm going to go after I did my web research and narrowed it down to the one or two I'm going to look at. I went into a store. And guess what they were telling me about all those market level messages. And I said, yeah, but that's not what I'm looking for. And I said, here are the three things that matter to me. Oh, all these do that too. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Well, you know, that's not what this one says or this one says. In other words, the customer, the individual unique customer, right? In that moment, I felt like I was a snowflake. I was the most unique unicorn on the planet relative to earbuds. And um, this seller wasn't picking up on that. Well, ironically, then I decided I'm going to go to, you know, someone that knows what I'm dealing with. Someone like me went to a running store. Oh, there you go. Guess what? They sold earbuds in there. Guess what they highlighted? 
they highlighted durability, ease of fit, water resistant, compatible with the watch. And the guy was really knowledgeable, but he started by asking me, do you walk? Do you run? Do you run hard? Do you walk far? Where do you do it? Tell me the conditions. And then he said, based on what you say, and he wrote them down. And I know you know that I responded to that when he wrote them down. (laughs) And then he showed me two different pair. And he said, he just used my list. He said, this one is going to cover five of the eight things you just said, Tim. This one over here has got, uh, you know, six of them. But honestly, that one you pick up, you pay about another $50 for. So like 25% more. But I, do you need that all the time? No, I don't. Give me that other one. <laughs> but, yeah, there you, go. you know, he taught, he understood my problems. He didn't give me the market level message because ironically, Brett, he had the same earbuds that the other place had. Interesting. No, so I, I bought think- them from him. That is so true. And even in the, the, in the business world, it's, it's the same thing, right? So the website or can hopefully hook you enough to understand what business you're in and, and how you help people. But then it's that next conversation where you get to understand really what is the problem they have. And you're, I'm guessing most solutions or products can solve three or four problems, but it's really targeting it towards towards that audience. And uh, that's good. That, I think that, that was really helpful. And, you know, I'm going to oversimplify something here. And I think it was you who told me this. If not, then forgive me. But it's it, around... Um, if it's good, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> I think it is good because, you know, a lot of time companies will say, hey, here's the problem that we solve for and here's how we do it. But don't get into the differentiation. So how, how are you... How do we do it differently than our competition or maybe how differently than you're thinking of it? And, you know, a lot of folks that I'm listening to on various podcasts are talking about the power of being different versus being better, right? Because if if you're going to claim you're better than the competition, I think you have to be like... 10x better for it to matter to the customers. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing that number, but if you're different, you'd almost rather be different than better. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But you know, I, I think there's an overlap between the two concepts. So let me talk because I think you got your finger on something that is a very powerful concept. Whether your company is at uh, you know the the pure startup stage and you're just trying to define that story. Or if you've got it going and you're trying to expand your your business, and that is getting this concept of differentiation down. Now I said a little while ago, and you know me, Brett. You know I I am old school. I've been around for a long time. And back in the day, and I hate to say it, I'm referencing back in the '70s. Maybe some of the people that will be listening to this podcast weren't even born then. <laughs> odds are that's right? probably a safe. But bet, I yeah. remember, yeah, our definition of differentiation back then was I've got something that nobody else has. And, you know, when you, this was even before we used the word called technology, right? right? right. But as, as we went forward, we had products. Some of us had some services that went with those products, and those were our differentiators because nobody else had that service or nobody else had that product or nobody else had the coverage in the market that we had, maybe with our service people, right? And so differentiation fell into a category that I now refer to as unique differentiation. I have it. Nobody else has, right? But what happened is that definition of differentiation stuck. And so now fast forward 
2019, heading into 2020, we now have technology. And to say, I am the only one that you can get this thing from might be true, but it's only going to be true for the moment. The shelf life of that unique differentiation, no matter how passionately we believe about that difference at the technology level, it's going to be fleeting. Someone's going to come out with one like that. Someone's going to do it in a different way, you know, and so the technology is going to change. So we have to have a different way of looking at this is where, you know, where this idea of a comparative differentiator comes from, right? Okay. And, you know, so if I have that overwhelming advantage, like you talked a lot uh, about initially, yeah, I should try to be better as long as that differentiation matters to this customer, right? Right. Someone was telling me on those earbuds, they've got better sound quality. That's fine, but that didn't matter to me, right? But, you know, do I have a comparative differentiator, which is you could get it from me, you could get it from somebody else, but let me tell you why mine is a better fit for you than someone else's. And if I haven't done that upfront understanding of either their initial point of view, Brett, that they did on their own in that zero moment of truth, or some version of asking questions to discover and help them understand what they're looking for, I can't possibly position why I'm different that's better for you. See, what I think is better is actually irrelevant. It kind of matters more what you think you need and how am I different relevant to those needs. And this is an area, and I know you understand, you've got some experience with this, but it's something that a lot of, uh, you know, the message or story side of organizations that are just getting started, they miss that. They think they can go out and talk about all their differentiators. Wow, we have this, we have that, we have this. And two things inevitably happen. Number one, in today's world, a customer says, well, you haven't told me anything I can't get from five other folks, so why should I buy from you? The second thing that they could conclude is those things you're talking about are not relevant to me. So what do we unintentionally communicate to the customer? I don't understand you or your business, right. right? I haven't been listening to you. Why in the world would I want to engage with you, right? And, and this is one of the most common challenges that those in the digital age that are selling something that might be more technology or subscription-based, they miss that. So we end up saying, here's, here's what I've heard, uh, you know, a customer just this morning, I said, I was interviewing about, you know, they're differentiators. And they said, well, we've got really high quality and our people, our people are the best. And we have these three features that, you know, really lower the, you know, our customer's risk. I said, do me a favor. What I want you to do right now is Google all companies in your space that don't provide a quality solution. They don't provide quality. Well, Tim, no one says that. I said, okay, you get where I'm going, right? right. Um, now, second thing, I want you to Google all those who have people that don't care. All those that have people that are just basically mediocre. You know, if you want good people, don't come to us. Tell me who's out there with those. Oh, we got, we got none of those. You know, okay, do me a favor. Now Google how many companies in your space help reduce risk. Oh, my gosh, Tim, there'll be thousands of them. Yeah, See, you're telling me about outcomes, right? 
I want to know what makes you different, not the different outcomes you produce. Everybody has outcomes of how they help their customers drive more revenue or, you know, improve their productivity or efficiency or lower risk or comply with, you know, requirements. Those are outcomes. Those aren't differentiators. What we got to get really good at doing is figuring out our story, the message around what it is that we do that produces those outcomes. So what makes my people better that they produce higher quality outcomes? They've all been certified in these four different, you know, areas. We have, you know, a a two-year training period. We've got this defined, um, you know, service approach. We, you know, do the follow-up, whatever it is, get down to the specifics and then connect that, those specifics to what the customers say their problems are. You know, my problem is I get service in this area, but it's inconsistent based on I get service from a provider on the West Coast versus the East Coast versus the Midwest. We have three different service experiences. Wow, that's interesting. You know, one of the things about our service approach, we've got a defined process that is the same everywhere. Everybody on our team follows these four steps. They use these three tools. Here's the report you're going to get. Here's the diagnostics, uh, you know, approach they use. Wow, you've got an approach that addresses exactly my need. And of course, I want to say, go figure. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. so that's where I'm trying to bring these concepts together for folks and say, when, you know, I ask you what makes you different, don't tell me the outcomes you achieve because everybody in the marketplace has got a story on that. Get the conversation down to, how it is that you do it and how that aligns with what the customer's problem is. And therefore you're proving the fit. And you know, the other thing that does for, for you, Brett, when you do that, when the customer, then if they decide they need to go look at somebody else, they're not going to be saying, tell me about your quality. Tell me about your people. Tell me about how you lower my risk or make me more efficient. What they're going to say is tell me about the certification program you put your people through. Tell me about the service process that everyone in your organization uses to ensure I get a consistent approach across all my, my different areas of the business. Now, if I know as the selling organization, that's one of my differentiators. I've actually just made it hard for my competition to compete against me. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And so that make, that's, yeah. I'm trying to close the loop on this because I think the message does tie into the way you set up your differentiators. And oh, by the way, it's another source of competitive advantage. Right. I, I was thinking of so many different stories as you were talking uh, through that. And one circle back to the office. I don't know if you, you watch the office, but the two sales reps oh, yeah, yeah. are on a call trying to sell their paper into a larger company and they're smaller. So their prices are going to be higher. And Jim asks, so is service important to you? Yeah. It's, in the meantime, they've already set up their mobile phone to call the competitor uh, service line and it's on hold. And he said, if service importance, then he picks up the other phone, calls their home office and customer service picks up right away. They walk out with a contract. And I know it's t- uh, a TV <laughs> show, but the point being, if service is important, they showed why their service is, is so good and why it's a differentiator against some of the other, the other players. And proved it, right? So, right. you know, that's the, uh, that's the other thing when we are launching a new company, we got a new solution, a new service, and we get out there. It's easy to get really focused on us and what we do. 
And oh, by the way, the way we do that could also be a differentiator for us. But the other thing that we don't always think about is, so how does that make us different? You know, what's the, what's the competitive reality we're dealing with right here? And where you see companies move from that stage where you got the, you know, the founding entrepreneur and a great idea and they get it going, they actually make some sales. And then they grow to the point where they can have two or three other folks around them, you know, that small group of, of initial employees. And we all just, because we're together all the time, we basically get that message and we get out there. Then you keep ramping that business. And now you got to rely on things other than word of mouth and osmosis to pick this up. And then along the way, you realize, hey, we're doing pretty good, but all we do is focus on what we do and how we do it. And to really have this take off in the market, we've got to be aware of how does this make us better than our competitor? And how do we make it hard for the competitor to compete with us? Man, you start getting to that level and um, then you see the business really take off. Yeah, that's that's the fantastic. And the one thing I just want to circle back to that we I think we just barely touched on it is once you are able to get those few first few customers under your belt and you're starting to grow, you know, go back and talk to your customers, right? And validate why they're buying from you, right? You'd be surprised at the number of folks that don't do that and just make the assumption that I'm you know, they're buying from me because of X, Y, and Z without actually, you know, speaking to the customer. And, you know, one of the things I'm really passionate about is both that the one loss analysis, right? But then also the customers. Oh, yeah. And that can yep. really validate your, your story. Or <laughs> if you're telling a different story than what your customers are telling you, then um, you're going to have a problem. So I think you know, one thing I'll circle back to as well was talking about the, the three different service experiences. You know, at one of the companies you were, I was with on the corporate side, and you actually did some work, we did some customer experience analysis and interviewed customers that ended up doing business with us and didn't end up doing business with us. And I just asked about the process and we got quite a few folks that said it felt like I was working with four different organizations. So I'd worked with the, the lead development person that helped me better understand and be, passed me to a salesperson. Then after we closed the deal, I went to an onboarding person and ultimately into customer success or what we used to call account management that manages the, the customer yep. relationships all were telling a very different story. And what was happening is the onboarding was having to clean up what sales had been telling them about the, the product or solution. So that's kind of a long rant for me to tie back the, uh, tie the customer back into these stories and, and do it periodically, not just a, a once in a while type of an approach. Oh, so true. Because, you know, uh, one of the things I typically ask folks early on in my engagements with, with them is, you know, let me interview some of your customers, right? Right. And um, when I talk to those customers, one of the questions I'll ask is, do you think they have a sales process? And I'm surprised, Brett, how often, especially for startups or, or uh, entrepreneurial kind of organizations, how many times their first few customers say, or prospects, absolutely, I know they have a sales process. They say, really? You know, how do you know that? And they say, because they subject me to it constantly. Oh. <laughs> In other words, this is, this is something you're doing to me as opposed to something you're doing with me. And, um, you know, this is where I get back to 
the way you sell and tell that story of who you are in the marketplace and the specific customers is as much a differentiator as what you sell. Right. And so, you know, having people feel like it was something done with them as opposed to you were coming in to deliver the pitch. Um, I know we all have in our mind this stereotypical, you know, old school salesperson whipping out the demo (laughs) and none of us would do that. Right. But you got to ask yourself, you know, be on the receiving end of your approach and how would you react to it? Right. Do they feel like you were doing something to them or do they feel like you were doing something with them? Yeah, no, I think through, including the, you know, the close the loop with the feedback from them. That's you know, so true. I actually wrote one of my little rants in LinkedIn, oh, probably six weeks ago that, you know, the buyers now have all the power in, in the B2B process. Well, they've always had it in the consumer, but in the B2B, you can't, don't change the conversation from, are you, is your sales process aligned with the customer to is, are you aligned with the, the, the customer's buying process? And that's yeah. really a foreign concept to older companies, but I think that's where there's an advantage for newer companies that can be set up. And, you know, I'll test this hypothesis with you too. You know, one of my, my theories is that if you were a company uh, founded before, call it Main Street, mainstream internet to 2010, right? And B2B was much slower at adopting it, that you were really built not to sell in this era, right? <laughs> with the digital, and I know with all the software companies you work with, that it really has changed. And I think the older and the more established you are, the harder it is to to realign around that that customer. Yep. You know, and it's a, it's it's as simple as putting it this way, Brett, you know, do we think the customer is participating in our sales process or are we participating in their buying process? No, that's good. And you know, that's like a mindset shift that a lot of organizations have a hard time operationalizing and getting their arms around that. But think about that digital marketplace we're in today. And for those folks that might be listening to this that are starting an organization recognize that that is potentially a liability. If you're entering the space where there's some established players, they're probably locked in that old approach, right? And look at their website, look at their marketing, look at what they say to customers. And odds are you'll see it's more of that inside out kind of approach. And Brett, you and I have worked at organizations (laughs) where, you know, breaking that death grip on, you know, the way we interact with our customers is really, really tough. And that's why the advantage of an agile, new, fresh organization that isn't locked into that way, it can actually reach out and come in from the outside in to the way they interact with the marketplace. I think that actually is a source of competitive advantage right there that sometimes entrepreneurial organizations don't fully take advantage of. No, I a hundred percent agree with you. And especially in the, the B2B space, I think there's a ton of opportunity right now where with these older processes and, you know, if there's a lag time, 
in any part of the, the sales process, right? Or any, anywhere within, anytime there's time being wasted, there's an opportunity for somebody to disrupt. Some are more ripe than others for that type of thing, but I truly believe we're on the, the edge of a revolution in the B2B space of where it's, you know, the digital is here to stay and it's the people that solve that quicker that are gonna, I think we're gonna lose some really large B2B companies in the, the not too distant future. Okay. It's already happening. Yeah. I mean, you know, go a little different way. What you're seeing in retail probably is going to be heading, uh, you know, into that other aspects of the B2B space, right? Right. Landscape's so, changed. Audience, keep that in mind if you're looking for your next business idea and or where you're going. I thought, Tim, I think this has been incredibly valuable. I haven't learned a few new things, so thank you for that. What I like to end on is what I call the closing time session, and you'll appreciate that from our back in our Go days. It's just a chance for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. So if you're ready, I'll uh, fire away. Lay it on me, babe. Let's see if I pass. <laughs> uh, let's, first one, I think you will. What do you, you may have answered already. What do you like to do when you're not helping businesses grow? Well, you know, when I'm not helping businesses grow, to, to me, it's family time. It's so precious. You know, I travel all over the world. So when I'm not doing that, you know, like right now, I'm in the office in my home. And um, so whether that's, you know, time with my wife, whether it's, you know, getting engaged with my kids activities to me, part of family time is me, you know, working out, taking the dog for a walk, whatever. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where you'll likely see me most of the time is I'm hanging here with those folks that, uh, you know, are just so special to me. Yeah, that's awesome. And I agree. And I think, you know, we're entering the same place where, you know, one's out of college, one's in college, and you're starting to really appreciate the time that you did have and really this time you still do have, you know, with those folks. I 100% agree with you on that one. This one's a little different. I like that. I don't remember where I first heard this question, but I really like it is what is one thing you would highly recommend? Could be a food, a drink, a habit, just something that you highly believe in. Well, this is another one of those old school things, Brett. For me, one thing I would highly recommend is something I've heard from a, you know, a lot of different sources. I first heard it from my dad, so I gave him credit for it. But, you know, he shamelessly stole it somewhere else. And that's the idea of reward yourself first. You know, and I think whether it's in the businesses that I've started, the businesses I've supported, you know, it's really easy to let a work ethic run out of control and forget one of the reasons why we did something. So, you know, whether that is, hey, reward yourself first. It's time to take the dog for a walk, you know, and just just get outside. That's why you do what you do. Take that one afternoon off and, you know, go do something with your kids, whatever it is. Um, hey, if you're starting a company, don't forget to pay you, you know, so that that would be my one thing I would recommend. Yeah, no, a hundred percent agree again on that one. Uh, you know, I think it's along the lines of one of the things that I've really embraced the last couple of years is enjoy the journey, right? Enjoy the process. Yeah, exactly. The finish line, you're going to miss too much and you're not going to reward yourself and you're going to get to the finish line and say, huh, now what? <laughs> but if you're yep, enjoying yep, what you're yep. doing, which, you know, we had a little conversation before, you know, 15 straight years of you've been busy, you obviously really enjoy, you know, what you do. So I think that is so important. That's one thing I'm trying to stress with my kids is enjoy, enjoy life's too short. So enjoy the process that you're going through. And if you don't enjoy the process, then you probably don't have the right career or job. So 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Easier said than done when you, you need money, but <laughs> you had to find that balance. Well, get to the point. There is that. <laughs> I do have an expensive life too, but... Uh, <laughs> But you wouldn't have this sense of humor if you didn't enjoy, you know, the process. Uh, well, thank you. I hope so. And last call, what is your drink or beverage of choice? Oh, my last call. Okay. Let me think about this one for a minute. Um, I guess it, uh, it probably depends on the scene or the mood, right? So, like, right after a good hard workout, my favorite drink in the world is some good low-fat cold chocolate milk. Believe it or not. It's like... That's the energy drink for me and, uh, and the recovery drink. But if it's Saturday morning, you know, sitting in the sunroom with my wife, which is the time when we kind of get caught up on the world, Saturday morning is special. To be honest with you, coffee in a mug. Uh, so it's not so much the drink as it is the, the vessel, you know, the, the mug where you can hold it with two hands and sit there. Is, I don't know. That's my favorite drink then. But um you know, if it's happy hour out with friends, probably a, uh, you know, nice glass of Pinot Noir or something. Uh, a little Mother of Dragon or a little Artemis. Uh, yeah, that, that, that'd be where I'd go. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm still an IPA first, but boy, enjoy a glass <laughs> of uh, red, especially if I'm out with somebody who knows knows their wines. So <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, thank you, Tim. Anything else that you want to discuss before we wrap this up? No, Brad, I just, you know, good, good to, you know, be on this call with you, talk about some things that, you know, a lot of times we think have relevance to maybe larger, more established organizations. But my experience has been the things we talked about today really are some of those, um, you know, uh, kind of mindset operationalizing your message, getting it out there, competing in the marketplace that actually gets organizations to hit that escape velocity of the early stages of the business. And one thing that people always tell me when they get that business up and running, they talk about what were those things that got them over the hump. And a lot of what, uh, what we talked about today are those things. So hopefully ends up being relevant and interesting to folks. So thanks for having me. Yeah, not a problem. Look forward. Maybe we'll have to have a part two somewhere down the road and we can dig a little bit deeper maybe in a couple of these topics because I know we hit a, a lot, but I think that from a core, and I'll summarize it in the, the show notes as well, just the key takeaways. So, and then lastly, Tim, if anyone is interested in learning more, which I'm going to guess after this, there will be, uh, where's the best place for people to find more about you and connect with you? Well, you know, you can connect with me either through LinkedIn. Obviously, I'm out there. Our company, you can get to us, uh, you know, at, it's forcemanagement.com, or you can get to us uh, via Twitter or the other social platforms on force, F-O-R-C-E, M-G-M-T. So those are the different ways. Awesome. Awesome, Tim. Hey, this was a blast. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great, Brett. Thanks again. Take care, everybody. Take care. You've been listening to Hardwired for Growth. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit brettrainer.com. That's B-R-E-T-T, followed by his last name, T-R-A-I-N-O-R.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.